You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. you to stand with me today and let's begin reading in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. Now let me say before we start, Paul said, I wish that all of Israel would be saved. I wish that all the Jews would come to Jesus. And the question is, why aren't they coming to Jesus? Why do the Messiahs reject Christ uh, by majority, they, the majority of the Jews in the times of the apostles would not come to Jesus. And so Paul is saying, I wish they would. Uh, but ethnic Israel is not coming. And so he began to explain, though, that God's word has not failed. Amen. God's not up in heaven going, oh, I don't know if this is going to work out. You know, none of them are coming to me. And he says this. Look at verse 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Did you hear that? Now, we've already studied this, but I've got to point it out. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. You're not saved because you're born of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. God said, I chose for the seed of Abraham for the children that I choose to come through Isaac. Say amen. amen. Uh, let me see here. And uh, children, because it couldn't happen. But in Isaac, your seed should be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. Oh, listen now. Those who are the children of the flesh, not ethnic Israel. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as seed. In other words, who of the Jews are going to be God's children? Those that God makes his promise to. Those whom he elects. That's what it means. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children, that is Esau and Jacob, uh, not yet being born, having done any good, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Just like Jonah said of old, salvation is of the Lord you see in other words not because he saw any good in them not because he he foresaw any faith in them but strictly upon his own choice he chose Jacob over Esau as it is written Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated now let me, let me define that for you. It, it means Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. That, that's what it means. A lot of preachers like to, uh, to say fear. Fear doesn't really mean to fear God. It means to have reverent respect. No, it doesn't. The word means terror. Terror. Just like I was terrified of my mother when I disobeyed her. 
I wasn't just respectful. Actually, I'd been disrespectful. And that's why terror filled my heart. Well, same thing here. He says, he had, what does that mean? That means he rejected Esau. Yes, that's what it means. But re, why did he reject Esau? Because Esau chose sin, as all men choose. And he had the right to hate Esau because Esau was an enemy. We covered this. You can go on the podcast and listen to it. What shall we say then? Now, here we are to our sermon. Now, you just heard some shocking things. It, even today, it's still controversial. God elects those who come to him. God uh, promises those that are going to be his. God chooses Esau over Jacob, and he chooses some over others. And people get all scared about that. And so, listen, we know this is exactly what Paul is saying here because he raises the same questions people do today who don't believe this doctrine. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God not fair? That's what people say. That's not fair. That's not fair of God to choose one over the other. Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God really unjust? And so he gives this, the curt answer, certainly not. Meogenitai, which means, or genitals, or however, I'm not a Greek uh, scholar. It means no, no, never, never, not in a million years, never there's injustice with God. Let me tell you something. If you understand, you don't understand something in this book, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness of God? Certainly not. For listen, for he says to Moses, these are our verses today, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Now basically you know what he's saying here. Don't tell me who to save and who not to save. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, by the way, this is talking about individuals, not nations, individuals, him. It is not of him who runs, nor of him who wills, but of God who shows mercy. He said, Brother Ron, what should we do then? You better cry for mercy. Amen. Amen. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Ooh, we'll get to that. I'll explain that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please bless this today. Help us not to get in a rush, and help me to finish in a good, timely manner. And, uh, and I want people to grasp and understand these truths. They're important truths. They're not minor truths. And Lord, help me to be true to the promise I made you when I began to preach that I would preach the whole counsel of God. I don't care if, uh, who disagrees with me. And so today, I preach a subject that a lot of people may not, dis may not agree with me on it totally, but God, I pray you'd open our hearts and ears, even mine today, that we may know truth. God, you deserve and you get all the glory. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we're talking about God's freedom in mercy. 
We've already looked at point one, which is the fairness of God doubted, where we covered the question. God, God these people say, well, that means if he loved Jacob over Esau, if he chose Jacob over Esau, that's unfair. That's not right. The oldest is supposed to get the, the inheritance and all other kinds of things. It's not fair. And he says, he says is God unjust? And he says, certainly not. And then I want to tell you what he does not do. Try to pacify their understanding. And we'll get to that. So the question, is there unrighteousness with God? We answer that. The answer, certainly not. And then we talked about God's covenants. To explain why God cannot be unjust. My friend, God has made covenants with all mankind and he has not broken one of them. He never will. But you know who has? Does anybody know who has broken God's covenants? We need a bunch of mirrors today, don't we? If I had a mirror, I'd hold it up right in your face and right in my face. That's right. And right in my face. We have all broken the covenants of God, but God is not. Therefore, let me tell you something. God is free to do with us whatsoever he wants to do. Hmm. We talked about the covenants and explained that God cannot, never can he be unjust. Let me give you point two. The favor of God defined. The favor of God defined. The Bible says he will have mercy. Now, that's great to stop right there. Amen. God will have mercy. We read it. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. God gives mercy to sinners. Hallelujah. Some believe that folks are better off with their own choices, though. Some people believe that man in his fallen state is more likely to come to God in their own free will than God is to come to them in his sovereign, merciful, gracious, truly free will. Some passionately argue that man is safer in his own rebellious hands than in the hands of a loving, merciful God. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Well, let me go on. Here in verse 15, we see that God acts from mercy. Everything God does is just or merciful. And even in his mercy, he's just. Because, my friend, the people he have mercy on, he can forgive their sin because his son came and paid their debt. So it's all just. But if you're going to heaven today, you're going to heaven because God placed his mercy upon you. Not because you were good, not because you were bright, not because you were intelligent, not because you're better than them over there. My friend, if you're going to heaven, it is because God placed his mercy upon you and me. We see that God acts for mercy and compassion and he dispenses that mercy, listen, as he wishes. 
We love to proclaim free will, whosoever will, whosoever will. I do too. You know why? It's in the Bible. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know if there's a Sunday's gone by here that I haven't used that verse. The Bible says God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In Revelation, the Bible says, let him who is a thirst come. Let him who's hungry come. Let the church say come. Let the angels say come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. I believe that. But who will? Who will? That's the question. We love to proclaim whosoever will, and we should, but don't forget that God is actually, oh, listen, the only free-willed being there is. And in verse 15, it does not say whosoever will, but it says whomsoever I will. Twice. So here we have, we, we hear the whosoever wills, but here we see whomsoever I will when God is speaking why don't we raise as much fuss about God's free will as we do ours, which is false? You don't have free will. It's bound by sin. It's bound by your deadness. It's bound by your corruptness. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Amen. What does that mean? The Bible says in Romans 3, there is none. Anybody want to define for me none? I don't know of any other uh, definition than what it means. There is none who seeketh after God. There is none who understand. God comes and opens your heart and your eyes and you see Jesus and he's irresistible and you come to Jesus. First of all, let's explain mercy mercy explained are you ready listen to this sit on the edge of your seats if you have to i only get you for one hour football gets you for five or six hours school gets you for eight hours a day work gets you for eight hours. i only get you for one or two hours so please stay awake like you would at work like you would at the ball game like you would in mealtime okay mercy is a quality of compassion especially as expressed in God's forgiveness of human sin. Scripture stresses God's forbearance towards sinners in his mercy. God shields sinner from what, sinners from what they deserve. What they deserve. God's unfair? Okay. I say this all the time, I know. But okay, let's ask God to start being fair. You want to do that? How many of you want to join me in that one? No. Put your hand down, Fred. No. You don't want God to be fair to yourself and your own sin and your ungodliness. I know what Fred's saying. I'm just teasing with him. I know what he's saying. He knows Jesus. And Jesus can be fair because he's going to save Fred by the blood of Jesus Christ. But my friend, if we truly, honestly got what we deserve as a human being, all of us would be in hell today. We would. I love how the Tyndale Bible Dictionary puts it. Listen to this. I like this. Prominent in the concept of mercy is the compassionate disposition to forgive offenders of adverse, uh, and adver or adversaries and to help 
or spare them in their sorry plight. <laughs> I like that. To help them, that's what God did. I was in a pit, and God came and got me out, delivered me, and put my feet upon a rock. He had mercy. He saw me drowning, and he rescued me. He saw me going down into the miry clay, and he picked me up and washed me off and put me on that rock that never shall be moved. Amen? I wish I had a Pentecostal here today. Amen. Hallelujah for that. You know what that's called? Mercy. Mercy. Mercy explained and then mercy expressed. Mercy expressed. Let me read to you Ephesians 2.1. Now listen to me. We're studying the Bible. Ephesians 2.1. And you he made alive. Now that was added by the translators to make it more uh, understandable. Later, he'll say that in actuality, he'll say that he made you alive. Actually, starts out, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, listen, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, all, that's everybody in this building, once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. We're going to keep reading. But let me stop there. Let me ask you something. Listen to me. Let me ask you something. What would you do with someone described like that? Let me read it. This is you and me, of course, but listen. Because we tend to think we talk about sin and all that. We think of them over there. No, it's you right here. Who are dead. Dead in trespasses and sin. Dead, separated from righteousness, separated from God. Dead. Let's go across the street and see how many people you can get to come up out of those graves. Why can't you? They're dead. They're separated from this world, from the physical world. That's why we miss them. Well, spiritually, when you're dead spiritually, you're separated from God, good, and anything else. Which you once walked according to the course of this world. You used to love this world. You used to be a part of this world, which is the enemies of God. In varying degrees, but it doesn't matter. One sin, one little white lie would have caused Christ to go to the cross. According to the prince of the power of the air, the Bible said that we were of our devil, our father, the devil. Of our father, the devil. Why? Because we did what he wanted us to do. Listen to this. We are called the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. In the lust of the flesh, that's all we ever did. That's that's what your free will was guided by, was your own lust. Now, you may have said a prayer a long time ago. It may have sounded good, but some of you, the only reason you said some sinner prayer is to escape hell, to use Jesus as a fire escape or a party pass to get you into heaven. But you didn't deal with your sin. You didn't deal with your love for him and righteousness and hatred for sin. You know how I know that? Because you're still living in them. You're still practicing them. Not, not, I'm, I'm not pointing specifically, but if the shoe is fitting on you, wear it. 
It says, in the lust of the flesh, which is all you were before you're saved, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, you were children of wrath. Now, I want to ask you something. What would you do to someone like that? Would you have mercy on them? Would you have mercy on them? And maybe we would. You know why? Because we've been touched by the mercy of God. But I tell you what, let's, let's let somebody come and hurt one of your children. See how merciful you'll be then. You know what I'm saying? And you take a God who is holy. He loves his holiness and his sovereignty and his righteousness. He loves it. And men sin against it. They don't just make mistakes. They come against God willfully. You did that before you came to him in faith. But God, look at verse 5, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I want to tell you, when you get saved, you come to Christ. This is the men's part. You come to Christ by faith. You believe in God, and you turn from sin. You can't do one without the other. It is, a, it is two sides of one coin. So is mercy and grace. Mercy and grace, you, you don't get mercy without getting grace. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve, and grace is God giving you what you don't deserve good. And God has done that for me. God has done that for you. And I came to him by faith. But my friend, before that happened, God awoke in my heart and my eyes and drew me, dragged me, which is what that word means, to himself. All praise and honor, glory goes to him. You can't say that if you don't believe this doctrine. You got to pat yourself on the back a little bit. It's all of my free will. Good for you. The Bible says that God did it all. The Bible says he deserves every bit of the... So, so how are you going to teach both those doctrines if you came to God just on your free will? I don't think so. Mercy extracted or taken away is what it means. Some people try to take the meaning of mercy away. For someone to say God is unfair is not... God is unfair to not give everyone mercy is to not know what mercy means. God, you ought to save everybody. God, you should save everybody. You need to give everybody mercy. Then it's not mercy. If mercy is something God has to give, has to give, or that we are owed, it's not mercy, it's reward. It's reward, and you get all the glory because you were good enough and smart enough and wise enough and whatever you were enough. No, mercy and grace are unmerited favors. Imagine how different the story of Job would be if instead of saying the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, he said, that's not fair. Why did Job act like that? Because Job was a man who hated sin and loved righteousness and understood what he deserved. And he says later in the book, how can we take good from God's hand and not take the evil? Why? Because we deserve it. We deserve it. 
We are sinners. We are rebels. We are the aggressors. We are the unholy. God is the one sinned against, rebelled against. God is the one who our aggression was against. God is holy. You're not. I'm not. If God were to let us all be condemned to eternal punishment, he would be just in doing so. Say amen. If God were to condemn us all to eternal punishment, he would be just in doing so. Since we are all guilty and deserving of his wrath, he is just in showing his mercy. Now listen, since we all are sinners, we all deserve his wrath. He is just in showing his mercy to an elect number and letting the rest, listen, reap the rewards of their own actions and their own choices. The United Bible Society handbook says this about mercy. It is clear that in these verses, Paul is not only emphasizing God's freedom, which nobody wants to defend. I never hear anybody want to defend God's freedom. But his mercy as well. God is not obligated to do anything for sinful man, and what he does, he does because he is merciful. If, on the other hand, he condemns sinful man, he is just because that is precisely what man deserves. That is to say, the keynote of these chapters is not only God's freedom, but his mercy as well. And God is mer- if God were to chose, just chose to save Adam alone, he would have been infinitely merciful. So you think you're better than you really are. You think your sins are not as bad. Yeah, I know. You watch the sitcoms and TV and you laugh at the cussing. You laugh at the homosexuality. You laugh at the adultery. You laugh at the cheating. You laugh at the sinfulness. But God doesn't. If you don't think God hates sin, look at the cross. Every time we sin, you ought to hear the ringing of the nail and the hammer and think if God doesn't really feel bad about your sin. He hates it. Mercy excluded. I'm going to go quicker here. Mercy excluded. In other words, when does God exclude mercy from others? The Bible says a hard phrase here. It says, whom he wills, he hardens. Now, are you listening to me? I want you to understand this very clearly. What I'm not saying, what I am saying, and what I'm not saying. The word here is uh, scleruno, from which we get our medical term uh, scleroderma. And what it does, it hardens your, your, uh, some people, their skin. It hardens your organs and eventually gets to where, you know, what happens when something can't work anymore. And it comes from this word that means that. It means to render, it means to make hard, uh, harden, but metaphorically it is used to mean to render obstinate or stubborn. How many times have we heard Miss Shirley say that Donald is what? (laughs) Hard headed. No. I'm teasing. Brother Donald is hard working. That's what he is. He's a great man. 
By the way, where have you been the last couple of weeks? I hadn't seen you in the office. <laughs> he comes by and sees me when they clean over there. We say people are hard-headed. We say people are hard-hearted. They're not really hard-hearted. They're alive and going. Their heart's beating. It's just as fine as yours. And what we mean is that they are, they're, they're hard-hearted. They don't care. They're hard to, to people's plights. Hard-headed means it's hard to get them to do anything you want them to do. They're going to do their own thing. And the Bible says that God hardens whom he wills. Whom he wills, he hardens from the gospel, from righteousness. It's a hard saying, and some take it to mean, now listen, it's a phrase that theologians call double predestination, that God chooses those that go to heaven, and he chooses those that go to hell. I do not believe that. God chooses no one to go to hell. No one. That God chooses some to be lost eternally. I don't believe that. I don't believe in double predestination. I don't believe that. Men, listen, all on their own choose to go to hell. God needs not do anything to help them in that direction. Man, all on their own. I said the other day, Flip Wilson's fair. The devil made me do it. Listen, don't blame the devil. You could do wickedness all by yourself. No, ma'am. No, sir. Uh, where was I? In man's fallen state, God can bring judgment upon any sinner who refuses his grace and loves their sin. God is free to bring judgment against any sinner. Romans 9, 22, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Brother Ron, what does that mean? Well, number one, it says, here it is, God didn't make anybody go to hell. He endured them. He let them live. Why didn't God kill you the moment you sinned against his law? Why didn't he do that? Because he's merciful, he's gracious, and he let you live that you might hear the gospel, that you might have a chance to hear the gospel and come to him and he endured with you and while he endured with you he used you for his glory he used you in your sinful state for his glory that says here for the vessels of wrath he was long suffering of the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction you say well see God prepared them for destruction show me where it says God prepared them doesn't say that anywhere in that verse. Why can't we just as easily say they prepared themselves? Now, maybe God does prepare them, but my friend, I don't think God initially did that. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart twice before it says in the Old Testament that God hardened his heart. And so I don't believe in that double predestination. But here's what I believe. Don't, don't make I'm not backing up. I'm not crawdading on you. Anybody goes to hell goes to hell because they chose there. But anybody goes to heaven goes there because God chose them to go there. Amen. He had to. God has freedom to choose for himself a people for glory and refuse others who are guilty and give them what they rightfully deserve. Romans 9, 17 says, For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I've raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. And he said, Listen, Pharaoh, I raised you up to use you. 
I could count on you sinning. I could count on you rejecting. And I hardened your heart to Moses for my own glory and for the deliverance of my people and for the furtherance of the gospel for the people of God. In Pharaoh's fallen state, God used him for his, that is God's glory and purpose. He is God. He has the right to. Now stay with me. To say that God is unjust, unfair, or mean by giving people what they deserve and by the way what they choose, because that's what you choose, is absurd. It's absurd to say that God is unfair by giving people what they deserve. Instead of questioning God on why he refuses other sinners, why don't you question why in the world did he choose you? I say that many times my own self. Why would God want Ron Owen? Why would he want him? You may say, why anybody want that guy? I don't know. Anyway, I got to go on. The free will of God declared. The free will of God declared. I'm almost finished. Now stay with me. In verse 16, it says, So then it is not of him who wills. It is not of him who wills. How do, you, how do you explain that, Brother On? Well, the word so means so. The word then means then. It is not means it is not of him. That's talking about sinners. That's talking about men who wills. It means their choices. It's not of him who chooses. Not of him who wills. Not of him who desires. This supposed free will man is apparently unable to make a choice for Christ, which is what I've been telling you ever since I got here. Listen to John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. I believe that. Amen. To those who believe in his name. Now listen. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, which is all you are before salvation. But of God nor of the will of man but of God that's plainer than the plainer than the nose on your face John 6:44 says this now listen closely no one can come to me Jesus said this he was doing this to comfort himself because of the rejection of the Jews he says, I, I know you're not going to believe in me. He said, no one can come to me. He says this earlier, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Amen. Sounds like a different number to me, doesn't it? All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I will no wise cast out. But then in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, I know what you think draw means. You think draw means to woo or entice or convict. We, I hear people all the time use that word draw to mean God draws you. He's bringing you. It's the Spirit of God talking to you today. And they think that God's drawing can fail. They think that the Spirit of God comes to compel men, but sometimes fails. Do you hear what you're saying? That millions of times a day, the Holy Spirit of God is a failure. You better watch yourself. He never fails. If God came to this building intended to get you to come to Him by faith, guess what? You're coming. You're coming. The Spirit doesn't fail. If he comes in this service to draw men to himself, and now besides that, how many of you have ever tried to woo water up from a well? 
Come on, water, you can do it. Come on, just believe. Believe, I think I can, I think I can. Come on, you can. Is that what draw means? You know, what draw means is you grab the crank and you, the water does nothing but try to go back down because of gravity and you force it up. No man can come to me unless the Father forces him. In the book of Acts, it says that they stoned at Paul and they drew him, they drug him outside of the city. Same Greek word. It means to compel by force. And if you didn't understand the first time, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. And Jesus said, after some more argument with these Jews, he says it again as if they didn't. He said, I don't think you understood this. Let me give it to you again. Verse 65, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my Father. Mm. In these last two verses, Jesus is commenting on why the Jews were rejecting his statements that he is the bread of life. He says, you know why you haven't believed? Because also earlier he says, all those who are taught of God come to me. In other words, he's saying, you're not the gift of the Father to me. You've not been drawn by the Father to me. And you have not been taught by the Father of me. That's why you don't believe. Does that scare you today? You say, Brother Arnold, are you saying that I could be one of the non-elect? Yeah, you might be. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, place your faith in Christ or repent of your sins, you're here today and you've never been saved, and you say, could I be one of the non-elect? You can. Does that scare you? Yes, sir, that scares me. I, I don't want to go to hell. Well, then i got good news for you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, what if I'm not one of the elect? You forget about that. That's none of your business. But I tell you this, just as sure as the Bible says that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that salvation is of election of God, it also says whoever trusts in him by faith is saved. It's the proof. But some of you here today may not be saved, and you know what you might be saying? I don't give a rip. Then why do you care? And the reason you don't give a rip is because God has not drawn you to himself yet but we're praying for you now i'm just giving you verse the verses here number one so then it is not of him who wills number two nor of him who runs what does that mean you don't get saved by doing good works you don't get saved it's not by merit or by good works amen if you say that you got saved by good works you're not saved not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. There's no work you could do. You say, but I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Yeah, but you've got to deal with the sins you've already committed. What you going to do? You better call to G. You better call on Christ. And number three, but of God who shows mercy. So then it is not of him who wills. Decides, chooses desires nor of him who runs does good work has merit then what is salvation based on god who shows mercy god who shows mercy now i want to tell you something today two things 
If today you have never experienced the mercy of God, I mean the saving mercy of God, but you want to, you say, Brother Ron, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be God's. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to be forgiven my sin. And I realize I can't save myself. And the Bible says, if you will call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Come to Jesus today, like Lane did a few weeks ago, like Ty did a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago. Come to Jesus. And today, if you are born again, if you are saved, you know what you ought to look at? Why me? Why would God didn't have to save you? God could have left you in your own decisions and in your own sin and let you go to hell. He'd have been just. And most people say that had been fair to God in doing so. But God sent his son to die for you. But make no mistake about it today. If you're saved, you're saved because of the mercy and grace of God. Praise him. Josiah Condor was a great hymn, hymn writer of the 1700s, maybe even earlier. He wrote this song. "'Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. Thou from the sin that stained me hast cleansed and set me free. Of old thou hast ordained me that I should live to thee. To a sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening mind. The world had else enthralled me to heavenly glories blind. My heart owns none above thee. For thine own self I thirst. This knowing if I love thee that thou didst love me first. Hallelujah for the mercy of God. 